Welcome to Tamra Talk Circular, where we explore how businesses, municipalities, and governments are collaborating towards a circular economy. You've mentioned the quantities. Yeah, there's there's enough out there. And there's a lot of investment going on um, for high and high tech plants, um, primarily from what I've seen a lot in chemical recycling, but also it's, it's starting to scale up in, mm-hmm. in mechanical as well. Mm-hmm. What sort of volume flows do you expect for chemical recycling, I guess? Also, I have to go back to uh, some, some recent work that, I, that I've had done here that, to look at. I don't, sometimes I can't keep all these numbers in my head, but a couple of things. Let's, let's let, first look at Europe. I, I would start out by saying capacity is needed. Uh, I mean, if you look at what brand owners are, are, are stating, as far as recycled content and, and their and their uh, packaging, 2025 and 2030. If you look at Circular Plastic Alliance uh, and and the recycled content in 2025, et cetera, et cetera. The market, the value chain is saying we we need chemical recycling implemented in order to get to and have that where it's accepted as recycled content in order for us to meet the commitments that we made. I'm speaking as a brand owner, et cetera. So everyone knows uh, that that capacity is needed. If you look at here in Europe today, this is data from uh, ICIS. They did some work for us. Today here in Europe, uh, when it comes to uh, chemical recycling capacity, pyrolysis, gasification, glycolysis, hydrolysis, Mm. Add that all up today. It's about 115,000 tons. That's okay. That, you know, uh, you know, if you say put 115,000 tons of plastic in my backyard, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at uh, a commercial new polymer plant running at 400,000 tons per year. And that's one plant. And that's one plant. And that's one, uh, that's peanut. It's peanuts. Uh, okay. So that's one thing. So, so capacity is needed. Everyone knows that. Representing the industry of chemical recycling, one thing I have to say to that is like, wow, it's really good to be needed. That's cool. That's good to be needed. That, that feels good. Uh, what we're doing is important here. We shouldn't be back on our heels like, uh oh, uh, no, it's good to. It, that's a that's a good sign, guys. It's good to be needed. Uh, okay, let's go to 2025. And uh, I mentioned uh, 115,000 tons here in Europe now. If you look at pyrolysis, which is a thermal cracking technology which is the technology that is most talked about these days. Why? Because when you look at the the issue of plastic waste streams uh, globally, certainly here in Europe, and you look at the largest concentration of plastic waste, it's it's typically polyolefinic. Not completely, not at all, but but very much. uh, And therefore, in tackling that concern, it's not a surprise that you see a lot of pyrolysis being talked about. And that's where the capacity is is really growing fast. Here in Europe today, uh, we have uh, for pyrolysis, what, 70,000 tons maximum today. And by 2025, we'll go up to 800,000, you know, m- multiply by 10, order of magnitude in a sense increase. Okay, that's all great. I mean, that's a cool graph. I mean, that's going like that. Yeah. And then if you go beyond 2025, 20, it keeps growing. Uh, I don't have those numbers in my head from beyond 2025 because uh, that's coming for me here in a few weeks. Uh, but but uh, it is growing. But, but that being said, 800,000 Tons of capacity, 2025 pyrolysis in Europe. That's a good thing, okay? But that's maybe two manufacturing plants of polymers, right? So a long, long way to go. And uh, like I said, if we go to 2050, we'll we'll be a significant percentage of you know solving the the issue of circularity uh, for plastics. 
But even by 2050, we're not going to be chemically recycling everything that we see. We're starting at the base that I mentioned, uh, less than 100,000 tons here in Europe. We'll be going up to uh, close to a million in, in just uh, between now and 2025. And then it just keeps going up as investments are, are realized. And are we seeing the same sort of ratios um, in the U.S.? Because that's probably the other large geographical area. Uh, good question. Well, the, the, if, you, if you look at geographically comparing uh, Europe, uh, like I said, by 2025, it'll be like a million one. 1.1 million metric tons of capacity, looking at all the technologies that I mentioned. Whereas in the U.S., 2025, you're looking at, you know, uh, 5.7 million tons. So so 1, 1 million versus 5.5, 5.6, 5.7. So five times uh, larger in the U.S. If you look at today in the U.S., capacity is just over a million. So basically, we're at you know middle of 2022. So in two and a half years, we'll be where the U.S. is today here in Europe in terms of capacity. Okay. So we're about two and a half years behind if you look at it from that standpoint, if you're looking at it that way. And looking at Asia, Asia Pacific, their capacities are today reported higher than here in Europe. Uh, but the growth uh, in, into 2025 is, is maybe up to 1.4 million tons of capacity in Asia Pacific. So that's kind of the uh, the global landscape. Perspective. Okay. Okay. So it's, it is scaling up massively, but it's necessary. It's necessary to scale absolutely. up. Absolutely. It's, it's absolutely necessary. for. Okay. Let's come back to Brussels. Yes. Your home, your home. Is there support from Brussels? So from the commission and the member states of EU for chemical recycling, how politically charged is this topic? I would say yes. Uh, support, support. Uh, I would, I would switch that, that term at the moment and say, openness, uh, openness uh, to, to uh, support the deployment of the technology based on proving its efficacy. And man, we could take that, we could take that, uh, that, that proposition and run with it as an industry because what we are experiencing, uh, take DG Environment, is openness to look at the technology uh, uh, from a science-based perspective, from a carbon footprint perspective, uh, and 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 then take it forward from there. Uh, uh, we as an association will be having uh, our annual conference on the 13th and 14th of October in Brussels. People listening, you can find out. Go go to chemicalrecyclingeurope.eu, the website. Look on news, and you'll find links to the conference. Uh, and, and there we'll be having uh, leaders from the Commission, DG Environment, engaging us uh, on the subjects. We'll be talking a lot about. Uh, the policy environment, what we think is needed to enable uh, a favorable environment. Uh, one very clearly, uh, we haven't talked about it here in the uh, in the podcast yet, is the, the full implementation acceptance of, of mass balance accounting it has to go with this. A statement I would say, there is no chemical recycling without the acceptance of mass balance as a, a accounting methodology. Good news, uh, there's a whole lot of infrastructure that's put in place already to make that a reality. Hundreds of entities, brand owners, all along the value chain of plastics, signed up for ISCC certification, which is the certification entity, let's say, for for mass balance and you know, ISCC. And, and so, so there's a lot of infrastructure in place. And uh, we, we, we're engaging commission along the lines of uh, acceptance of mass balance and, and on the commission level, but also on the country level, because the, indeed, I'm learning that even at the, if it's not, it's not always 
straightforward. That acceptance on the commission level is acceptance on the country level. So we're working on that. Another thing that's really, really important that we're focusing on as an industry is what I call really substantiating carbon footprint value of this and, and LCA, so life cycle assessment. Uh, we, we will in October, will have a, a full session focused on uh, life cycle assessments applied to uh, chemical recycling. And we, we're putting out our thinking on this as an association, you know, how, how, to, how the proper, you know, how to apply chemical re- life cycle assessment methodologies to chemical recycling technologies. It's not a broad brush, one size fits all. There's complexity there, but we're working on that too. Yes, I would say on the commission level, the, the openness is there. It's like, show me, show me, prove it, prove it. And that's that's exactly what we want. So maybe you can just repeat the website Oh yes. just for our listeners. Yes. Okay. The, the website, uh, chemicalrecyclingeurope.eu. Okay. And look under the news section, I think is what you said before. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating. Subscribe and turn on notifications. Okay, so that's what's happening in Brussels. How open is the globe, especially in the U.S.? How open are they to chemical recycling? Yeah, uh, uh, once again, I'm, I'm certainly not an expert on the U.S. That being said, uh, we as, as a region also uh, and as an association of chemical recycling Europe reach out to if you are our peers in, in different regions, including the U.S., to, to understand, you know, kind of how, how they do it there versus how we do it here. What can we learn from each other? And to, to a large extent, I mean, we, we are applying a, a lot of the same, you know, logic and reasoning. One of the one of the exceptions is, is indeed our, you know, exclusion of, of plastic to fuel as part of uh, chemical recycling, definitionally speaking, whereas in the U.S. it's a lot more open uh, and uh, I can't really... Uh, really go beyond that at this point. I'm a little bit. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So when we look at the figures and you might have addressed some of this already, the future of investments has already started. We've talked about that. Uh, and if we look only in Europe, your your friends, Plastic Europe, recently announced an increase from 2.6 billion euro in 2025 to 7.2 billion euro in 2030. The production of recycled plastics is estimated to increase from 1.2 million tons in 2025 to 3.4 million tons in 2030. Somehow we have to manage all of the plastic waste that's coming, basically. Would you say... Chemical recycling is becoming the technology of choice. Good question. Uh, uh, short answer to that: that would be no, uh, because that would be that would be kind of getting into the silver bullet mindset, uh, and I don't want to get into that silver bullet my, mindset. It's not the technology of choice. It is one of the technologies that that will be part of the solution. And as we talked about earlier about capacity coming online here, an increasingly a larger part of the of the solution. I think something that that is really really important, mission critical. Uh, for for all of this, and it kind of uh, a red thread through a lot of what we've talked about today. When, when I've touched upon concerns with the mechanical recycling community and chemical recycling and et cetera, et cetera, uh, is is indeed maybe Tomra has has some words on this too. Is my thinking is that Europe is ahead of the curve globally uh, when it comes to the collection of plastic waste. Although there's still a lot to be done, we we, we have a leg up uh, re, uh, from from a regional perspective when it comes to sorting, which I think that Tomra is pretty good at that. 
that. <laughs> uh, when it comes to sorting, when it comes to sorting, the great news is you have going to a Tomra, a place where Tomra technology is implemented. It's like simultaneously going and visiting like a space age company, uh, but smelling uh, trash. You know, uh, it's, it's really it's really incredible. Point is, technologies are just space age whiz bang technologies to do this, and with companies like Tomra implementing this, it's, it's great. But it's just a question: is we need more and more and more. We need more. We need more implementation, more collection, better EPR schemes. We need more sorting technologies developed and implemented because feedstock, getting to the feedstock is the critical issue right now in chemical recycling. I, I like to say this. I come from the, the making plastics over the years and, and, and you know, plants at, at, at different continents over my life, developing the technology and running these big plants. When it came to our feedstock, we never worried about it. We, I mean, the feedstock was, was uh, ethylene or propylene, basically, coming in uh, uh, through a pipeline, generally, from, from the petrochemical industry with all kinds of specifications uh, that come from the petrochemical industry, quality control, delivered right to your reactor. Never worried about the quality of this. In my whole time, I think maybe we had one time where we had a slight reduction in catalyst efficiency making polymers for a few hours because of some contamination in the feed. Uh, that was it. So so never worried about it, with the exception of wanting to move our plants closer to where we get cheap feedstock, which is why, of course, you have a, the you know, migration of capacity down to the Middle East for making polymers. But point is, we never worried about the feedstock. Come across the chemical recycling and maybe even recycling in general. The quality control begins in our kitchens you know and I mean that I mean that quite literally it begins in our kitchens that decision that that we make okay what do I do with this piece of plastic waste do I throw it in the mixed plastic or, or, or where do I throw it what do I do with it that decision uh, is is step one it's, it's not even step one it's there's steps before it but it's it's called step one of the quality control of the feedstock for the chemical recycling industry. That's not really hyperbolic. That's literally the, tr the truth. And then you look at how many millions of kitchens that we have in Europe making great European food. Uh, but that's that's the beginning of our quality control. Uh, that's the beginning of our feedstock. How do you get from that to a feedstock to feed my pyrolysis unit, my depolarization unit, my gasification, whatever? Consistently, I mean, definitionally, consistency is going to be a huge challenge in this feedstock. Yeah, and I do think what you've mentioned before is uh, sorting, getting it sorted properly and getting as much purity out of the material that we have. That's going to be key in the future. At our conference in October, we'll have also a full session focused on, on, on feedstock complexity and solutions. Sounds like it's going to be an interesting conference, most definitely. John, I think we agree, um, although you, you also mentioned there's still technology that needs to be developed, but we do have a lot of technology in place that uh, we mm -hmm. can start tackling the pro problems of plastic waste and can, well, not start, we should continue. We should expand massively as quickly as possible. But the technology is there, and that's not something we need to be waiting for to start tackling. John, we had your business partner here a couple of weeks ago, also for recording of uh, Tomra Talk Circular, Matt Wilopolsky. I think you know him quite well. And he was talking about uh, design for recycling. Both of you actually host another bi-weekly podcast by the name of plastic.climate.future. So obviously, this is a, a passion. And actually, um, Tomra's own Jan Homan was a guest on that show. So thank you for that. Very interesting episode. I'm going to ask you the same thing I asked Matt. What's been the most interesting and or surprising episode that you've had? And, and I wish Matt would have given me a heads up because I could have thought about that. No, that's a great question. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to. I'm glad to. 
<laughs> I'm glad he didn't. So <laughs> I'll give my first answer is that it is hard to answer that because honestly and sincerely speaking, there there are several that really are standing out. You know, the the podcast with Tomra is is definitely one of them, and I'm not just saying that because you're Tomra. It, it is it is seriously the case. But I would say first thematically, what runs through a lot of the podcasts that that's been the most refreshing thing of it all has been large uh, presence and amount of younger people that 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 are totally turned on to these issues that are putting their passion and putting their brain uh, into solving problems that is what is so darn refreshing about this whole plastic climate future hobby that me and my friend Matt have been working on is is the response of you know uh, of I, I'm 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 more towards the, the the latter part of my career than the beginning of my career and just seeing yeah, at the age of 35. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll pay you for that. And, and uh, but to see that that the passion is coming from the, the, the younger people, they, they know more about this than I do. They know more about this than Matt does. Uh, and that's great. That's what we want, you know. And, and with Plastic Climate Future, uh, one of the premises is that we want to reach out to those that are coming from what we call the industry. Uh, yes, but we also dare to reach out all the way to that other side of those that are protesting in the streets. If you will, if you will, the great Thunbergs of the world, because uh, although, of course, we are not always going to see eye to eye on things. What I see there is passion and serious commitment to solving problems. And so so it may be a bridge too far. Uh, but with Plastic Climate Future, we actually think there's common ground between those that are in the industry and those that are out there protesting. If we can find a way to say, hey, uh, let's engage in good faith. Let's look for science-based viable solutions. And we all agree, no greenwashing. I mean, that's common ground. And, and it's so refreshing because our very first podcast guest was lady number two. What is it? Youth for Fridays here in Belgium, which is leading the protest over the years uh, uh, on climate here. And just the, uh, the level of seriousness, thoughtfulness, science-based approach gives me hope for the future. So I hope that answers. Yeah. Oh, wow. And you know what, John? That's about what Matt said. Thanks, John, for coming on the program. It was a very good, interesting, um, and in-depth conversation. And uh, we look forward to having you back. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's uh, been great to uh, be on this with you, Matthew. And, and uh, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to Tomra, uh, you know, I see Tomra as one of the uh, leading examples of, of part of solving the problems that we've been talking about today. Uh, of plastic waste. Uh, and so, so I'm sure that, that our paths will, will continue to cross uh, as, as we move forward in, in, uh, in implementing solutions. And, and one last thing, uh, you know, uh, uh, we, we endeavor as an industry uh, to put a little rhetorical flourish to, to we, we want to take the, what some may regard, regard as you know, a consultant buzzword called circularity, and we want to implement that in, in real life, in, in the real world, in the plastics value chain here in Europe. That, that's, that's what we're all about. Uh, that's what chemical recycling Europe is all about. And we recognize companies that, uh, such as Tomra and the solutions that you bring are a key part of this comprehensive uh, set of solutions. So thank you for the time. Thank you, John, and I'm sure our paths will cross again. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating. Subscribe and turn on notifications. To comment on this episode, visit circular-economy.tomra.com slash podcast.